Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. When it comes to being a part of society, it's necessary for people to learn very important things. For example, when we are children, one of the first things that we learn is that we cannot always go wherever we want to go. Another thing that we tend to learn when we are children is that we can't just have whatever we want to have, or at least we would hope that children would learn these things. That's one of the things that parents do teach their children if they want to have some sense of order in the home, that children will have to learn that there are things that they can do and things that they cannot do. In effect, there are rules that we live by, and these rules require obedience, that a person has to obey the rules. Otherwise, civilization can completely decay to the point where there's nothing but a great deal of destruction in the home or outside of the home, wherever it may be. It is necessary for a child, when they are growing up, to become an adult. It is necessary for them to learn obedience. And in order to learn obedience, in order to find out that you cannot do whatever you want to do, in general, some kind of penalty has to be implemented. Because if there is no penalty, or if the penalty is not adequate enough to motivate a person not to do something, then they will do those things that we do not want them to do. In other words, when the pain that a person experiences from doing something that they shouldn't do is greater than the pleasure of actually doing it, well, then their behavior will change and they will be obedient to the laws or to the rules that have been given to them. And then when we become adults, we leave the home and we go out into society. And if we are not willing to be obedient to the rules and the laws and the regulations that are within that society, then we also will experience a great deal of pain and suffering because of our disobedience. That will happen. And of course, when it does, it normally is quite a bit more severe than what we experienced when we were children at home. In general, we can anticipate that, that the penalty for doing things that we shouldn't do when we are adults is certainly much greater than in most cases what people are experiencing when they are children. But that is how society is governed. That is what it takes in order to maintain civilization. Without that, civilization certainly would not be civilized at all. Civilization would rapidly be reduced to the point where those who have the greatest ability to inflict pain on other people, that those are the ones who will decide what is going to happen and what won't, regardless of whether or not it is a good thing in society, that people will just simply live however they want to live, they will take whatever other people have, they will go into spaces and in environments that is owned by somebody else, and there will be no recourse because of the power that these people may have in order to prevent anyone from causing any harm or suffering in their life. And so this is a vital principle. This is a very important principle that people need to understand 
if they are going to understand what it takes in order to sustain civilization. But then if a person decides to pursue religion in any capacity, then in general they go to a church and then they find out that there are new laws that are going to be imposed on them, not just the laws of society, but also the laws of the church, that the church will impose new laws and new regulations, and they will find a way to impose suffering, either through ridicule or through shame, or whatever it takes, whatever they have at their disposal, even public humiliation, whatever whatever it takes in order to try to get you to obey their laws, obey their commands, that this happens within various congregations and churches. And so when we think about obedience and suffering and what it takes in order to get a person to obey, our initial assumption concerning this comes from our childhood and from our experiences as adults and also from our experiences in churches as well, that our understanding of that is that if a person experiences enough suffering for the sins in their life, whatever those may be, then that person will learn to obey. Now, I personally believe that this fits in the category of behavior modification, but but either way, this is how people live. They understand that this is how we live as children in our parents' home, and this is how we live in the world. And, in effect, this has been brought into many of our churches also, and people can relate to this because it's similar to how they lived in home or they lived in the world. Either way, people are accustomed to that, and so they just assume that that probably is the norm. But if you assume that that is how a person learns obedience, it just so happens that there's a very interesting verse in Hebrews chapter 5 that can be read from that bias, that can be read from that perspective. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, it is written with reference to the Lord Jesus that although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And when we read this, it's easy for us to look at it from our own perspective that we certainly have learned to obey rules and regulations and laws and commandments. We have learned obedience by suffering for our disobedience. So when we read this, it's extremely difficult to read this without thinking in that way, to read this without reading it from that bias. And so when you do, you look at it and you say, well, gosh, the Lord Jesus learned obedience from the things which he suffered. I learned obedience through the things that I suffered. Did he learn obedience too? And if that's the case, then that means that there was a time, there was a place, in a certain way, whatever way it was, Jesus was disobedient. That's the assumption that we make when we read this verse, that at some point Jesus was disobedient and then he learned to be obedient through suffering, through suffering that was probably imposed on him by someone else. And when you think of it in those terms, you've got to ask yourself the question, well, then when was he ever disobedient? I mean, when did he ever sin? If by definition, Jesus is God, if he is God manifested in the flesh, if he is the Messiah, then by definition, he will have never sinned. And so if he never sinned, If he was never disobedient, then how could he have ever learned anything with reference to this? How could he have learned obedience if he never was disobedient? Of course, he experienced a lot of suffering, but was that really because of his sins? Well, again, it can depend on who you ask. I mean, if you were to ask the Pharisees during the time of the Lord Jesus, especially those who were involved in his arrest and his trials and his execution, 
many of them would be very quick to say that yes, Jesus was disobedient. Jesus was a sinner. It just depends on who you ask. I mean, we certainly, if we are Christians, if we believe in the Lord Jesus for who he is, if we believe in him according to who he is, then we would say that he was never disobedient, that he never sinned. However, if you were to ask somebody else who does not believe in him, who does not believe that he is who he claimed to be, then you should expect them to say that, of course, he sinned. Of course, Jesus sinned in some way, in some capacity at some time, because the alternative would be to concede. It would be to admit that Jesus was God manifested in the flesh, and that would be unacceptable for an unbeliever to consider that, to accept that. But again, if you were to ask any of the Pharisees during his time, they would say, of course he sinned. That was our problem with him. He violated the Sabbath law, for example, on many occasions by walking through the grain field on the Sabbath day, by putting spit on a man's eyes, mud as well, but it was actually the spit, the spittle that was the violation, according to the Talmud. These are ways that Jesus demonstrated that he was a sinner in their eyes, from their perspective. And so it depends on who you ask, and it depends on the circumstances at hand. There were many people back then who would say that Jesus was disobedient. However, when we know him for who he is, there is no way for us to say that he was disobedient, because that would be a contradiction to his very nature. It would be an absolute contradiction. So what does this passage mean? What does this verse mean to say that although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered? Well, let me go back and consider how we learn obedience and what this obedience may mean. I began this program by talking about our dealing with sin in our lives and trying to maintain civilization. And as children, we learn obedience through pain and suffering And as adults, we may still learn obedience through pain and suffering. And while there may be no legal action taken against us in the sense that we are captured and fined or imprisoned, we could always lose a job or we could lose a friendship. There are many ways that people suffer for the sins that they commit. Society has many ways in order to impose suffering. But there is a different kind of suffering and there is a different kind of obedience that I believe the writer is intending to speak of. And this was described at the end of Hebrews chapter 3 when he spoke about the children of Israel, saying in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The writer of this letter to the Hebrews speaks about disobedience as unbelief, as not trusting. And in this context with the nation of Israel, and also in the context that we have today in our relationship with our God, the disobedience of unbelief has to do with not believing in what God has done for us. It has to do with not believing in what he has given to us. From our perspective, however, we normally approach this from the sufferings that we already have. The world provides us with many opportunities to suffer. You don't have to live very long before someone violates you in some way or somebody causes suffering in your life because you have violated them in some way. There are many ways to experience suffering in our lives. But certainly one thing that I think most people can identify with is the fact that our sufferings, for the most part, have to do with 
with either our unrealistic expectations or they have to do with the fact that we were depending on something else or someone else to meet deep needs that we have within our hearts. And the sufferings that we experience have to do with the unrealistic expectations that the people in the world or the things in the world are going to meet our needs only to discover that they certainly will not. That that is the kind of suffering that I believe everyone can understand and relate to aside from the usual sufferings when you sin directly. I mean, when we do sin, then people will certainly not love us, they won't like us, they won't forgive us. In that way, you can experience suffering because we do need people to like us and love us and forgive us. Those are issues. But in this sense, I would like you to consider the fact that most of the suffering that people experience beyond just the usual penalties for sins or breaking laws, most of the sufferings that we experience They have to do with the fact that we are looking to the world or we are looking to other people to meet our needs and our sufferings has to do with the fact that they're not meeting our needs. I, as a pastor, I talk with a lot of people who have marital problems, for example. And, of course, I don't know anyone who has no marital problems. Everybody's got a marital problem of some kind, if they are married, that is. And, of course, there are others who have been divorced and have many problems that they had with their former spouse that were never resolved. But I talk with people who are both saved and lost, people who do believe in Christ Jesus and people who absolutely reject Christ Jesus and reject the scriptures. I talk with a lot of people who come from different walks of life. And virtually all of them will say that they are experiencing a lot of suffering. They are experiencing a lot of suffering because of somebody else, because of their spouse, that it's their spouse's fault or their involvement with their spouse. It's it's just somebody else that it's their fault, it's because of somebody else's choices that they are suffering. And certainly there may be some limited truth to that, absolutely. But the value of these sufferings are not to be self-aware or to give an excuse as to why we react the way we do or to even try to get somebody to change the way that they relate to you or to get their flesh under control. The real value of this acknowledgement is really found in recognizing that we have certain needs that are just simply not being met. And if a person will recognize that, then they can perhaps consider that this other person or these other people do not exist for the purpose of meeting their needs. And even if they did exist for that purpose, or if they wanted to exist for that purpose, or we wanted them to exist for that purpose... They're never going to be able to do so, whether we want them to or whether they want to. Either way, we don't have that capacity to love people as they really need to be loved. We don't have the capacity to like people or accept people as they really need. So this discovery, this acknowledgement, will hopefully lead a person to recognize that only God can do this. And in truth, God has reserved that for himself, that he has created us and he has created this world in such a way that only he can meet the deepest needs of a person's heart. And so when a person acknowledges that this is their situation, then they can believe in him. They can trust in him. They can receive all that he is giving to them if they will believe that he does love them perfectly, that he does accept them perfectly. We learn the value and the importance of trusting and believing in the truth that the Lord has revealed to us through the things that we suffer. 
we can learn the value of that. And this is the point. This is the most important point of this program. And that is that we learn to believe and trust in our God through the things that we suffer. Of course, this happens first from our suffering. We suffer in the world and recognize that the world has nothing to offer. And then we turn to our God and discover that he has everything to offer. So we then learn the value of believing in him and believing what he has said and believing in what he has done and receiving what he has done. We learn the value of that when we can compare what our life was like to suffer in comparison with the rest and the peace that we can experience through our relationship with our God. So this is unique. In most cases, we live in this world and we learn the value of obeying commandments or obeying laws because we don't want to suffer. But in this context, we are already suffering in the world and we learn the value of believing in our God. We learn the value of that when we compare the peace and the rest that we experience in comparison with the sufferings that we experienced when we did not pursue a relationship with our God. And so in accordance with Hebrews chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, that the children of Israel were called disobedient because they did not believe. So also we are considered to be disobedient when we do not believe, when we do not trust. And we learn the value, we learn the value of believing and trusting through the rest and the peace that we experience when we do that. And we can appreciate that when we compare that with our sufferings. The Lord Jesus, on the other hand, he has approached this very differently. Instead of starting out with a great deal of suffering and then discovering the peace and the rest that can be experienced through believing and trusting in his God, the Lord Jesus started out in heaven. He did not start out here on earth. The Lord Jesus was the Lord God manifested in the flesh and took upon himself the name Jesus, lived among us as a person. That's not where he started, though. He started in heaven. He started outside of this world, and he came within this world. So he started out with the peace and rest of God, him being God himself. But he started out in the heavens, in his kingdom, enjoying the peace and rest that he had there in the eternal kingdom, in his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven. That's where he started. And then he came into the world. Now, when he came into the world, it was then that he began to suffer. When he was here in the world, he was rejected by a lot of people because of the things that he did, or the things that he did not do, he experienced a great deal of rejection. And even though he lived a life in such a way that he never sinned, people still did not believe in him. They did not trust him. They still ridiculed him. They still hated him. They did not like him. They did not accept him. They did not believe his message. They did not believe in the God who he represented. And, you know, I always think about this, especially when I hear from pulpits or on the radio or somewhere from some pastor who says that people are going to believe in Christ Jesus when you get your flesh under control and you live a holy and righteous life. And I think you have got to be kidding me. 
No, I don't think you're kidding me. Actually, I think you really believe that. I have. I've, I've met a lot of pastors who really do believe that, and a lot of other people who are not considered pastors, they really believe that. They really believe that through our good behavior, through our righteous behavior, through our holiness, through the way that we love other people, through the lack of sin in our life, if we manage to get sin out of our life, through that, people will then get saved. I will never forget one particular pastor is probably the most popular one that I know of when it comes to the subject of grace, although I personally would make him look like a Pharisee in comparison when it comes to talking about the grace of God. That's exactly what he said. He said that if we will live a life of total absolute obedience, we will be the most perfect evangelists who have ever lived because based on our holiness, based on our obedience to God, everyone around us will want to get saved. And I can't help but think of the Lord Jesus, who was as obedient as could be. He was perfectly obedient. And by the time he was done with his ministry, who was saved? Who believed? Hardly anyone. Hardly anyone believed in him. Even his own disciples stepped aside for a little while until everything was over. And so if the Lord Jesus couldn't do it, why do we go around telling other people that they can? I think it's just totally absurd. I mean, Jesus was God, here in the flesh, living a perfect, absolute, holy life, and people still rejected the true and living God, even because of that. I, I think the example given to us is so obvious. Why we won't see it, why people don't see it, to me, is just is just absolutely absurd. But that's just the way that I look at these things. Either way, he learned the value of believing and of trusting by suffering when he was here. And that's the point, is that when he stepped out of the peace and rest that he had, and he stepped into the pain and suffering, it was then that he could truly say, I know the value of trusting and believing and resting and being at peace with God. I really know the value of it now that I see what it could be like without him. Now that I'm personally confronted with people who absolutely despise me, now that I'm confronted with people who are willing to crucify me and willing to lie about me and give false accusations, now that he has experienced that, he can have a greater appreciation for the truth that he believed, for the truth that he trusted. The Lord Jesus was living as a man, and he lived as a man believing and trusting in his God, although he was also God. But he lived and functioned as a man. He reduced himself to the point where he would live like we live here on earth. And through the sufferings that he experienced, he really learned the value of trusting and believing in the truth of the living God. And so from our perspective, we learn the value of obedience, that is, the value of believing and trusting in the Lord when comparing the peace that we have with him with the sufferings we have already experienced the Lord Jesus on the other hand he learned the value of believing and trusting he learned obedience in that sense when comparing the sufferings that he was having then with the peace and rest that he had experienced previously and so there is that subtle difference between the Lord Jesus and us. But either way, that is an experience of learning to the point where he can say, 
I can relate. I know what you are going through. I know the differences between pain and suffering in the world and peace and rest when you have a relationship with your God. That he is definitely a God who can relate to us in a way that no other God that anyone has ever conceived of could ever come close to. He is the true and living God. There is no other. There never will be any other. And in verse 8, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 8, when it says, Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. Again, that did not mean that he was once disobedient and through enough sufferings he learned to obey commandments. It means that he learned the value of believing and trusting and responding to the truth of the true and living God by being in this world and experiencing the sufferings that every person experiences or can relate to in some capacity. He is a God who knows us, who knows himself, and can relate to us in a way that no one else can. But again, when we think about this notion of learning obedience through suffering, there's another way that we will often think about it, and that has to do with thinking that God is punishing us in some way, or he is creating some kind of test or some kind of trial in our life. In other words, people believe that he intervenes in our life. He intervenes in some way to ensure that we experience sufferings so that we can be directed to depend and trust in him. I personally do not think that that is real. I don't think that that is true at all. I believe that he wants us to learn the value of trusting and depending and believing in him not to try to avoid other sufferings in our life or that perhaps we may get it right and so he doesn't have to intervene and cause pain and sufferings in our life, but instead we have plenty of suffering as it is. And instead of thinking of it as some kind of a test or trial, think of it as an opportunity to have a sobering reality of your own personal depravity that you have sinned by turning to the world or turning to somebody else or that you have turned to sin as a means of trying to experience peace and rest. You don't need the Lord to intervene to cause more suffering in your life. The world will provide more than enough for you. But through that, you should have the sobering realization that you have a misplaced dependency, and consider that as an opportunity to be more thankful for the forgiveness that you have already been given. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net